Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there Steve. Hiya, hiya, hiya. And uh, today we are hitting the books. Uh, we're talking a special two-part episode here. Uh, discussing Two Swordmasters uh, by Xiao Shen Yu. And forgive us if we mangle the Chinese language because we probably... Well, it's not even going to be mangling any particular language. We'll be mangling probably Cantonese, possibly Mandarin. I don't even fucking know. Well... Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, mangling English is kind of a given. Uh, Give us a little background, because I got this book from you, so... Yeah, I just uh, happened to run into the author during the course of my work, and she asked me if I liked um, action and adventure stories, and I said, yes, I do. Gave me a link to download this thing. Nice. And you sent it to me, and... It's much, much more than an action-adventure story. It's, it's a, fiction! It's that, and it's also a wuxia novel. There we go. This is the first time we've ever covered one of these. It is. It's the first time I've ever read one of these. Oh, really? Now, Steve mentioned the words fan fiction earlier, and this book does deal with a couple of characters from... Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, this particular story is... Shang Shao Ho and the Willow Tree. Right. And this deals with... Uh, if you've seen Crouching Tiger, or if you're fortunate enough to read Chinese and have read the, the five novels in the series, Shang uh, Shao Ho is the teacher of Li Mubai, played by Chao Yun-Fat in the movie. So, yeah, so he was a guy who the Jade Tiger killed prior to the action of the movie. And, yes, I did rewatch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon nice. as part of my preparation for this. He is also the writer of that uh, instruction manual that... Uh, that she stole. That she stole. Yes. So, I guess the, the first thing to say here is that... Well, actually, oh, go the ahead. first thing to say is Happy Father's Day, you motherfucker. Thank you. And Happy Father's Day to you, too, motherfucker. <laughs> That's the thing about Father's Day. Y'all bunch of motherfuckers. Not necessarily. Some people adopt. That's true. So, there you go. But then they then they become motherfuckers. Not every, not every <laughs> father is a motherfucker. Alright, so, yes, we're recording this on Father's Day. This will come out probably... Uh, it'll two, be irrelevant. It'll be a week and a half <laughs> since Father's Day. Now, if you've never read this genre of fiction before... Which I haven't. Uh, it's got a little bit of everything in it. There's There's action. There is superhuman feats of martial prowess. Is chivalry, uh, outdated moral codes and social codes, and uh, more tragic romance to the point of absurdity, and yeah, and a, and a, and a lot of uh, a lot of agonizing over one's duty. <laughs> of course, I did. Now, 
of course, I, I really enjoy this genre because it's got so much of everything that uh, even though this particular text has a number of typos, uh, you know, it kind of faded into the background as I was getting sucked into the tale of uh, here. Well, this oh, book is, is published um, by, I don't even, uh, yeah, exlibris.com. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think the, the what we have is a smash words copy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it has been. There is a hardcover, a softcover, as well as the ebook. And I can't attest for the um, typos on the hardcover or the softcover, but I think that it's. I don't think that there was a lot of professional editing done. Right. I might be wrong. Um, and also, the uh, the woman who wrote this, uh, English is certainly not her first language. Right. So, and that's fine. And that's fine. I mean, you can, you can forgive typos like that. I mean, we, we, you know, we come across tons of typos doing these books because mm. it's not like we... We are reading War and Peace or anything. Right. So uh, sometimes they are egregious and sometimes they're just there. So, yeah, I I find in this case, they're just kind of there. Yeah, it was most mostly like tense. Yeah. A few tense issues and stuff like that. And and I don't think this was originally written in English. I think it was written in Chinese and then translated into English possibly could be that I couldn't tell you um, I guess what well, I should have asked her when I had the opportunity to do so but I didn't right that's and that's fine we'll forgive you but uh, another thing that's interesting about this is there's no such thing as purple prose in this genre of fiction it is very matter of fact straight to the point a b c I was gonna actually ask you if that is indicative of the genre or if that is this particular author. Uh, I have an entire shelf over here of uh, Chinese translated literature and by and large, yes, it's part and parcel with it. There's not a lot of flowery and descriptive language. It's very matter of fact and to the point, which is one of my difficulties in reading uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Is because there's so much going on and it's written in this kind of uh, historical account type of speech. Now, do you think that that is um, the genre itself or do you think that is a translation issue? Um, because to, it could to, me, be. to me, and you know, this is coming from behind the veil of ignorance, uh, that it seems like a lot of classic Chinese literature is um, encouraged to be flowery and to to evoke you know images and whatnot mm-hmm. and it seems to me that this is antithetical to that ideal and it might be because this is um, genre fiction as opposed to courtly poetry or whatever mm-hmm. it just seems like that's that's kind of a weird, um, thing to happen 
And I know that we've read some uh, Japanese translated uh, weird fiction uh, that has been translated beautifully. Mm-hmm. It could be a translation error and uh, or an issue. This with is that. this is a side, um, a little side thing. I read um, that Antarctica story that Ken had wrote, mm-hmm. right? Um, published in a different book, translated by somebody else, and it was a lot less enjoyable. Mm. <laughs> so uh, w- what I'm saying is a lot of this, I think, depends on the translator and probably the translator is looking for, you know, a market right. and possibly the market for this kind of uh, book might be uh, more academic. Perhaps, perhaps. But even in uh, Legend of Condor Heroes, uh, which has been the whole series, I think, is out now. Um, the language there is more to the point. So I, I think the there are probably nuances that are missed that, um, you know, like a certain character being used over another. Yeah, it means the same thing, but there's a certain kind of nuance to the to the phrasing that is more more implied that you don't get when you translate it. You know, like, she wore a pink short set. You know, that's probably not... You know, there was probably more to it than just a pink short set, but... Right. Well, it's, it is an interesting discussion, and I know I brought it up, but it is definitely above my pay grade to talk about. Right. <laughs> Right, not being able to read any of these works in the original, it's really hard to say. So basically, I just have to kind of enjoy it as it is. So you want to go into some of some plot? It could also be cultural too. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole whole different uh, ball of wax. So basically, this story is like you had mentioned. It is a um, it's a story about where. Duty and revenge meet uh, romance and love, and uh, the, the the interference patterns that that uh, creep out from that. Um, you start off with a uh, man on the run. He's the father of the main character, and he is being hunted down by his uh, by his shifu for breaking the dojo. He uh, cheated on his wife, which is a big no-no, to the Bo clan. And uh, Master Bo uh, tells his top two pupils to go and just end him, which they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Orphaning his two children and widowing his his wife. Right. Uh, Now, of course, these are large families, so, you know, our... Young Xiaohou goes to stay with his uncle. Well, I think that's actually uncle as in he was my father's spiritual brother because they were both students of yeah. Master Bo. Yes. That's More like positive. a clan a clan um, relationship than a direct family relationship. Right, right. Uh, sworn brothers. Yes. So. And they're all under the, the Bo umbrella. Right. The sworn brother of your father is your uncle. Right. Blood or not. Right. So. And, and that's that's another one of these things, how these types of uh, 
oath-bound relationships are, in many, in some cases, stronger than the blood relation. Right, and uh, now I don't know what the character for oath brother, if that differs from brother or uncle, mm-hmm. um, and that could be part of a, a translation issue because we don't have that. Um, that's not an official uh, American relationship. <laughs> recognized by either the Republican or the Democratic Party or any of the major religions with the possible exception of the Mormons. So, um, well, here in the West anyway, right? Well, I said America, right? So that could be part of the whole, uh, translation slash cultural, um, ambiguity that we get as reading in English. Right. But, it's his uncle. It's, well, it's not though. It's not his uncle. It's, it's his all father's blood brothers. It's all that's important. He calls him uncle. He's his uncle, who takes him in, takes care of him, teaches him the trade of smithing, uh, and discreetly teaches him martial arts on the side, because the oldest son is duty bound to avenge the death of a father. Well, also. Uh, Master Bo uh, knows this and is basically gunning for this kid from Jump Street. Right. And and he's kind of wishy-washy as a villain because one moment he might be gunning for the kid and the next moment he's like, you know what? No. No. We're, we're not doing this. I could break this cycle, but he won't. Yeah, I, I don't really see... We, we want to try and make this as spoilery spoiler-free free as yeah. possible. Um, because it is definitely worth reading this book. Uh, but Ma- Master Bo is less of a villain um, and more of a foil. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that that is going to be a little bit more common in a lot of, of this, this literature. And mm-hmm. I might be wrong, is you don't have absolutes of this is the hero, this is the villain. You have a protagonist Right, uh, who is torn uh, between avenging his father and having the house for Master Bo's granddaughter, and there's a conflict set up there. Mm-hmm. You have the antagonist, Master Bo, um, who technically did the right thing mm-hmm. um, in the in the by by uh, getting rid of uh, his father, right. Right, he was he was morally in the right because this is a this is something that uh, these these martial houses and the, they're really more structured like houses or syndicates or something like that where it's familial, but there's you know very strict set of rules. Master Bo uh, has a legitimate business of a security company, which is right. one of the reasons why everybody that's in the quote unquote family trains in martial arts because it's. You go to work for the security company once you're done. Right. If there are any actual villains in this piece, um, I would think it would be the the Longa brothers. Yes. Yes. Master uh, Bo's top students. Yes. Master Bo's top students were a pair of brothers, um, Lung, who uh, basically uh, flaunted all the rules um, in public except when Master Bo was around. And then they were the model students. 
so they were like the Eddie Haskells of of this uh, this martial arts school. Yep. And they actually committed the act of killing uh, Shang's father. Right, right. Also, another thing is, is like no one can speak out against them because they are the next best thing to being, you know, Bo Blood. And they're and they're thugs. Right. <laughs> and they're thugs. I mean, you you rat them out to Master Bo, they're going to come and get you, or they're going to set you up, or something like that. These right. are not and, and- nice guys. Right, and Master Bo doesn't, he trusts them implicitly and won't believe you. Uh, Master Bo really is not a bad guy. Uh, he definitely is surrounded by bad people. Mm-hmm. Um, his kids, his students, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of thuggery happening in there. Um, but he himself is also a character that is conflicted. Right. Um, so, so you get the, these two polar opposite characters, neither of them are good, neither of them are evil, but they're set against each other mm-hmm. because of... Uh, circumstances. Because of cult- yeah, circumstances and cultural tradition. Really, at any point, you can say, you know what, my father's dead, he died, a lot of shit has happened because of that, a lot of bad stuff, and a lot of people have suffered because of that, but not only because of that, but because I am um, continuing this with a vendetta. Yes. So you know, and, he, and it also seems that Master Bo's um, all of his efforts to do the right thing uh, keep getting screwed up. It's like he takes in Xiao uh, Ho, and his sons abuse him. The Lung Brothers or me, you know, everybody's the sons, particularly since they're in the house all the time, you know, they beat him and kick him and they they treat the animals, the pigs Mm -hmm. and and the goats better than him. Right. And, you know, that only intensifies his hatred uh, for the family, because, you know, even though he's living there and quasi adopted as a grandson, uh still you know he's basically in the lion's den he's still harboring those feelings of revenge and those feelings of but he knows he's not strong enough he knows that uh he can't do it he's been watching the other folks train and master Bo broke a promise to teach him martial arts and you know with good reason why he didn't because you know it's like i'm not going to give him the tools to kill me right um but eventually, Xiao Ho escapes uh, the bow compound after developing a uh, adol- an adolescent crush on uh, Mei Lin, Master Bo's granddaughter. Yeah, uh, they are roughly the same age. I think she's a little bit younger than he is, but uh, they played together and hung out, and she was always nice to him, uh, even when no one else was. And they made a secret vow to be married over a kite. Under the willow tree. Under the willow tree. The titular willow tree of this story. Yes. Now, Master Bo, after after Xiao Ho escapes, uh, Master Bo is like, okay, well, you know, we can't be having this. That's just dishonorable. That brings disrespect to the family. Y'all got to find him and bring him back. 
and, and he he is helped by his uncle to to escape. Right. And he, he goes seeking someone who can teach him uh, more powerful martial arts so he can come back and kill kill Master Bo. Right. I mean, he, he basically, that's his motivation right now is revenge. It's 100% revenge. Right. He's torn because he he is in love with Mei Lin, uh, but, you know, not torn enough, I guess. Right, right. So he hooks up with one master, and the master's like, yeah, I'll teach you. I don't like this bow guy. He's a he's a villain. His students are villains. He's and and Xiao Ho gets this uh, kind of like education on how the rest of the world perceives the bow family, uh, because most of the town that he grew up in are all kind of like subservient. He's like boss hog, so to speak. <laughs> um. And yeah, and the perception of Master Bo in town and the way that his company and his clan are perceived in the wider world is is big difference. And that only reinforces Xiao Ho's need for revenge because then it's not only I'm getting revenge, I'm doing the world a favor. Right. Right, and and some of this, yes, is because his his students are um, the way they are. But some of it is just simple uh, martial arts rivalry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he kicked my ass ten years ago, so now I got to go kick his ass. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, yep. So the first teacher that uh, Xiao Ho meets gets his ass kicked by Master Bo, and they flee. Uh, which only causes more trouble. He's like, "Nope, can't teach you anymore. Sorry, I'm not good enough for you." I gotta, I gotta go into hiding. Right, I gotta go into hiding. Um, I've got to witness protection. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so yeah, you got to find somebody else because he basically just pissed off um, the the um, the Pinkertons. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Pretty now. This also has a couple of other char- colorful characters, uh, a couple of other martial artists who get involved with all of this mess just incidentally. Right. Uh, you have one who's sides on the quote unquote protagonist side uh, because the Bo clan are, are villains and the Lung brothers are villains. So he gets involved to uh, stop these guys because, you know, hey, I'm doing the world a favor by taking these guys out. Right. And then I'm helping the world. Right. And so he gets in a fight with the bow clan as they're looking for Xiao Ho. And this other guy comes wandering in going, Oh, that poor lady is being beat up by that guy. (laughs) (laughs) So he ends up siding with the bows just because he happened to be there as Malin was losing a fight. Right uh, to 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 this guy, uh, I believe Feng Ji was his. Name. Yeah, yeah, Ji. He was the. Okay, so there's a bunch of them, and it's hard to keep them straight. Actually, it's Feng Ji. It's Li Feng Ji. Ji something Ji. Right, right, right. Dragon Knight's grandson. Right. So, and you have like this. It's basically all these third generation martial arts. Um, prodigies mm-hmm. who are um, now 
going out into the world um, and making their fortunes. Well, here's another spoiler for you, because uh, Li Feng Ji is actually important to the story because he's Li Mubai's father. And there you go. There you go. Uh, so he actually turns up in the second story. Um, yeah, so you have these these other guys, they're getting involved in the, this whole mess uh, by accident. And mainly, the, we, we focus on the Dragon Knight's grandson. And he has sworn his allegiance to the Bows because, you know, he's, he's kind of like buying into Xiaoho's hype. Uh, because well, Master Bo, no matter what happens, hypes up Xiao Ho's ability no matter where he is on the spectrum of training. He sees potential in this young man, and he's like, look, he's got a purpose. He's got raw talent. As soon as he finds somebody with skill, we're fucked. And it's a refrain that Master Bo repeats. But we might do a little bit better with the grandson of the Great Dragon Knight on our side. Right. So uh, the weird thing is the the answer to all of this is staring everyone right in the face mm-hmm. the entire time. Right. Right. I mean, they practically both characters, you know, Xiang Ho and Li Mei, practically spell it out for the other characters. Right. Uh, uh, propriety prevents them from coming out and saying it. Right. As a matter of fact, at one point, um, he tells his new nameless ma- he does not tell his new nameless master that uh, he's in love with Maylin. Right. He asks advice about everything else. Mm-hmm. Cries on <laughs> yeah. his shoulder. What What should I do about my father? Well, you can kill the people directly involved in his death. I did you like can't, you can't kill anybody else. All he had to do was say, "Oh, and by the way." I'm in love with the guy's granddaughter. Well, there's your solution, right? Yep. And I, I love how they introduced, or how, how the author entered Nameless Master to as this like almost de- deity-like trickster-type character. Uh, right. Whose name really is not important. No, all, all you need to know is he is a master of um, the whammy. <laughs> yeah, the, the pressure point <laughs> techniques. Yes, uh, you know when the, when the uh, the the bow clan are like trying to attack Xiao Ho, and the nameless master steps in and just whips up on them easily, and they're like, "Tell us, tell us who just beat us." He's like, "So we can tell our master." My name's not important, but if you have to tell him, ask him who he met on Mount something or another thirty years ago. It was it was how you get Neji. Right, and and so they go back to Master Bo and say, uh, we didn't catch his name, but he said you might remember him from 30 years ago. And Master Bo's like, oh, shit. He, shit, he literally shits a brick. He's like, <laughs> damn kid found the one guy who can beat me. <laughs> <laughs> we are fucked. And, and the, the, the students are like, well, what if we train extra hard every day and gang up on him. No, you're still fucked. Yes. <laughs> I am so sorry. I got you guys into this mess. We <laughs> are proper fucked. We are we are S in the B. <laughs> and so he trains 
And, and Master Bo thinks it's only going to take him a couple. It would only take Xiaohu a couple. It's the level where he can defeat all the students. So imagine what happens in the actual 10 years it right. does take. Right. It actually, he's actually with his master for a decade. So you have this thing where Xiaohu comes out of training. He's like lived in seclusion. Nobody's heard hiding her hair of him for a decade. And he comes out of training to complete his revenge. He's released by his master. And he's fucking Superman. <laughs> when Pretty he, much. When he comes out. He, he meets up with uh, Dragon Knight's grandson. They fight. Uh, Dragon Knight's grandson thinks that all oh, his skills aren't that bad. He's just He just wounded me in that fight. Then he realizes, no, he wounded me deliberately. <laughs> <laughs> he's not trying to kill me. That means he's much better than I am. Yeah. And there, there's definitely, there's a lot of that. And, and as, as it goes on, you realize that he is really, he's an honorable character and he mm-hmm. really, really, really is trying to do the right thing. And he is torn. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. I think he has a run in with one of the uh, higher, higher ranking students. One of the people in charge of one of the uh, offices, satellite offices. Fang. Yeah, Fang. And he realizes that, you know, he's on the wrong side of this conflict. He, and he laments that, yes, it was the right thing to do to step in and help when uh, Lee May was getting beaten. But in turn, he's missed out on the opportunity to become friends with Xiao Ho and Feng Ji. Right. And that's very important to him is to keep honorable company. And yeah. Uh, and the thing is, aside from the main, not even the main conflict, but the satellite of the main conflict, the, um, the countless students who are, you know, looking out for their livelihood, mm-hmm. which is more or less what it boils down to. Everyone acts fairly honorably. Right. Um, it's very polite vendetta <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> you have uh, G um, paints wanted posters up all over the place mm-hmm. to try and draw Xiao uh, Ho out. <laughs> and he, he like laughs at it and starts fucking with them. Nope. Uh, that he, I he love. He could have just killed him, but instead he just starts fucking with him. Mm-hmm. To, there, there's this one part where uh, G, they're, they're in this town and there's a lot of very poor people so he's been um, giving silver away to the beggars mm-hmm. and uh, he, he's been getting it from the rich guy in the town so uh, <laughs> goes in robs the place in front of him because he was planning on robbing it himself because he'd used up all of, all of Bo's money right so he goes and robs the place Tries to get Xi caught robbing the place, even though he's got the silver. That ends up giving Xi the silver anyway mm-hmm. at the end. It's hilarious. Yeah, robbed it on his and, behalf because this poor guy, he's not skilled. He's got to get caught. Yeah, he is. Even and, though, and this is a, a, an A tier martial artist, but uh, yeah, Little Crane, which is his. Yeah, like, so, yep. uh, is just. S-ranked. He's like, 
He's a cut above, probably several cuts above. Yes. And you can tell because he he takes on multiple opponents all the time and just like easily, you know, like he he's even more evenly matched with the A tier guys, but you know, most of the, the you know, B and C tier that try to gang up on him, they are so outclassed it's ridiculous. Yeah, he could uh he could defeat scrubs in a minute. Yeah. And he does <laughs> defeat a lot of scrubs. Yes, the the only well, the only time he really gets seriously injured is from a scrub ambush. Mm-hmm. But it is a higher ranked scrub that right. actually it's a it's a scrub with that. influence rather than skill. And it's a it's a name scrub. Right. Um, what? Um, and I'm old. I can't think of things. Right. Um. It's one of the guys in charge of uh, the security station there. Yeah, 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 no, no, no. I'm thinking of like, uh, so what's his name? Uh, fuck. Sam Raimi would call him a shemp. Ah. So it's not like a faceless guy. It's a named guy. Right. He'd call them sheps. Yeah, and he like orchestrates this ambush. Uh, and all he wanted to do was talk to Lynn. That was the whole purpose. And yes. then that got screwed because he wrote a letter and Malin and and the Dragon Knight's grandson grabbed the letter at the same time and they each got half. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's not a character in this in this in this story that isn't somewhat flawed. No. They're they're to they're all they all have flaws, they all have redeeming qualities. Yeah, and and none of it's with, with maybe the except the exception of uh, Shang Ho's uh, vendetta, which drives the whole thing. Uh, everyone's flaws are manageable. I, 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 you know, right. It makes them it makes them human because really, there's there's with as as my friend Matt is fond of saying, uh, Mister Rogers and is the only you know flawless human being out there. Um, Mr. Rogers is the only one with Fred Rogers, right? Uh, no, everyone has their, their good points and bad points. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's rare to have uh, incidental characters mm-hmm. where this comes out. A lot of the times um, your incidental characters are clearly, um, supporters of the protagonist and they are good people or clearly supporters of the antagonist and they're bad people. Right. Um, and here you have subtleties where you have the, uh, you know, this guy G who is, he's a bit of a braggart. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's definitely uh, a little self-serving. Right. He's a lot self-serving, but He's also an honorable guy and wants to do the right thing. Sometimes he does he does it for the wrong reasons, but he, he generally goes to where he perceives, you know, the path of righteousness is. Right. So when Master Bo, like, hastily arranges a marriage between uh, him and Mei Lin, uh, he, she is not into it, and she's not unwilling to consummate the marriage. So... As to keep it just a ceremony, 
And he, you know, respects her wishes and is like, yes, and we will have a chaste marriage. Right. But the whole reason he married her in the first place is because Master Bo's loaded and, he, mm-hmm. you know, it's a shortcut to uh, to wealth. Right. It's a short into marrying Bo into the Bow Clan. Uh, As opposed to taking his um, bureaucrat's exam, which is what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, getting his title. Getting a, off, uh, an office job somewhere. Right. Um, right. Plus, there's the fact that he wants the two of them to travel together. And a single woman and a dashing young swordsman should not travel together without right. being married. Because that would be improprietous of them. Right. And, and the irony is that they travel together and married and they're still not doing anything. Right. Because she is an honorable guy. Right. But, it, it, but she's not the only character who has the, this subtlety of characterization about him mm-hmm. in a, in a uh, what, it's like a 150 page story. Right. Everybody is, has subtlety of character, mostly. Most of your characters who get the most screen time, I think, Master Bo. Right. Well, people who have names. Right. Um, have a little bit of subtlety about them. Not some, some more than others, obviously. You know, you have uh, G has a lot of screen time as opposed to Fang, who has uh, Uncle Fang. Sorry. Right. Because there's a couple of characters with the name Fang. Uncle right. Fang, who is duplicitous. Um, has no honor, um, and he does, but he also appears in what, like one scene. He's there for a purpose. Right. The purpose is to um, to really contrast G uh, aligning himself with Bo and the mass of people who have aligned themselves with Bo because it's um, you know they're sycophants mm-hmm. or they're getting something out of it. Yes, G is getting something out of it as well, but um, he is willing to forgo all of that if it's the right thing to do. Right. And at one point, he even says that it's it's a shame because we could have been friends. Mm-hmm. Now, what was your favorite part of the scenes sequence in this? Mm, it's hard to say. It might have been the the stealing the silver and then getting him caught and then giving him the silver anyway. Right. Painting the water wanted posted on poster on his t shirt while he slept. Yeah, yes, <laughs> that's pretty funny. My particular favorite sequence in the book is when uh, Dragon Knight's grandson and uh, Mei Yin uh, get take captured by bandits at the at the end. Yeah, toward the or, end. Uh, toward the end. Yeah, they get captured by bandits, and they're they're everybody. The one guy's going through all the options. And he's like, I can go get Master Bo and he can send help. I can go back to town and get the cops. But, you know, both of these guys, they're going to get fucked over. Because this, the guy that took them is, like, really fucking good. Yeah, he's he's like the... If there was anybody who was an actual villain... Right. It's this guy. He's just a cruel and violent bandit. He's a bandit king. Right. (laughs) And, and he's like going through his options, and he's like, the only option I have is to go get Xiao Ho. <laughs> and, and, and he goes, and he asks, and he's like, you know, those two people that want to kill you, uh, they kind of need rescuing. 
And you're the only guy that can do it. Okay. Yeah. And he goes and does it. And it's, it's and it just shows you kind of like how much how what level these these main uh, trinity of characters are because these are the three main characters. Well, and that's the thing is you want inevitably I want to compare this compare this to you know similar things from like you know Western right. Um, and the big thing that keeps on coming back to me is that you don't have this uh, this dualism of good evil. Um, hero villain you have it's more of a um just a matrix mm-hmm. who who is right and who is wrong in any given situation is it changes throughout throughout the story and that's yeah. uh that's one of the things of, and it's doesn't uh doesn't shy away from that the fact that you know on the one hand you know these guys are, are you know really honorable but on the other hand they are stone killers right and, it, and it's not done in a way um, where, where you know, um, like, a, what if the Empire were the good guys in Star Wars? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not done in that, like, irony way. Right. Um, you know, it, it's more subtle than that. It's more like real life. Yep. Uh, where, where at any given moment, your motivations could cause, cause you to act um, uh, virtuously or not. Mm-hmm. And this happens to all of these characters. So you, you don't have, um, you know, Aragorn, who is always going to be good no matter what, because that's who he is. He's a fucking king. Right. And right. that's how the king behaves. You don't have that. You, you have, you know, Xiao Ho, who is basically going to kill the love of his life's grandfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because he believes it is the right thing to do. Right. Exactly. And, and he's the hero. Right. And these characters, they they also contemplate their actions more than heroes in, say, a Western family. You know, Aragorn does not agonize over making a decision whether or not to fight. Should I... Should I you know, be diplomatic with Saruman? No, he's absolutely evil. We're going to kick his ass. Right. Shao Ho constantly, and all of the other main characters are constantly questioning their. Right. And it's generally those who question themselves and their motivations are thought of as being the righteous, while those who follow more of an absolutist path, uh, like the characters who are self centered and dirty and, and do dishonorable things. You know they they do not weigh the consequences of their actions on that kind of level. It's just like well, doing A will get me this many ounces of silver. Doing B will get, which is less, but I'll also be famous. So I'm going to go with option B. Right, and all these other guys are contemplating. Well, you know, action A has set me on this course. You know, am I truly willing to destroy all these people's lives? You know, for the sake yeah, for of my vengeance. revenge. Yeah. For vengeance, yeah. Um, and and it's it's interesting because it's to you and me living in America, vengeance or revenge to that level, especially like, you know, we're white guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're, 
that isn't ingrained, you know, in our cultural heritage, I guess you would say, unless you're living in, in Florence in, in 1597 or whatever, you know, it's not that deeply ingrained. No, I, I, I think, and I think a lot of that comes from, you know, being, uh, subject to the cultural right so regardless of that it's not part of our cultural makeup right right so that motivation doesn't hit us you know as readers as hard as it does the actual character who lives in a society where that's a big deal right so this is, this is what's expected of him Right. So I think that, uh, like, speaking of being lost in translation, there's also, like, a, a, a cultural rift mm. uh, between, uh, what's it, 19th century China and um, 21st century uh, um, America. Right. Eastern seaboard America. So, um, and, and reading this, you definitely, it's work. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? It's mm. work, not to read it, but to um, to like grasp these motivations and how powerful um, this impetus for for revenge is, as opposed to you know if somebody killed my dad, the legal system would take care of it, mm-hmm. right? And my my um, my vengeance, so to speak, would be watching some schmuck rot in jail, right? Not challenging him to a duel to be determined in the future, exactly. So, yeah. So, here we are, halfway through. Um, recommend? Uh, yeah, so far, yeah. Well, I, I liked it enough to go back and watch uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dread. There you go. Which I haven't watched in, uh, like, what, 25 years? How old is that? Wow, mean? really? Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> it's a little too posh for me. Oh. <laughs> it's one of, my, one of my favorite movies, and I think one of the... It's up there with, like, you but this book i yeah i recommend this book just going halfway through it uh for not only the setting and just the complexity of the characters uh this is definitely character studies more than a plot you know the plot is what it is it's revenge but it's how that plot affects all of these and the, Mm -hmm. the web of interactions uh, so yeah, if you if you like it complex, uh, almost almost soap opera-y, soap opera-y, um, yeah, definitely check out this book. The, yeah, it definitely has that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like the um, just the setting itself and how the world building was. It wasn't like put on thickly, but I did get a a sense that uh, you know uh, of 19th century China um, and, and the area and just what it what it was like for for um, common people mm-hmm. um, a, a lot of the times you read historic uh, fantasy or, or whatever and you get um, you get the the perspective of the people who have the ways and means mm-hmm. well um, and this, yeah and this is a little less so. But even Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, um, you know, you're talking about uh, none of the, the main characters in that movie are hurting. No. 
Or appear to be. Right. Well, I mean, like, financially. Right. Well, I mean, Lee Mubai is a monk. He doesn't need much. But, uh, yep. So, definitely, if you get a chance, check it out. Two Sword Masters. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll put a link we'll in, put a link the... in the description. Yes. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks for the second half. Yes, and that will be uh, Limu Bai and the Living Widow. Yep. So, until next time. Keep 30 left points.